Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who cares more about the Hall of Flame than the Hall of Fame. Jordan, light me up. Light my fire. Uh, Hall of Fame, Hall of Lame, Hall of Shame. We will be getting into all three wings of Cooperstown uh, on this episode of Baseball Barbacast. We have generally neglected to talk about uh, this year's Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, for reasons maybe we'll get into, but with the results being released early next week, uh, and you know, I know we might pod again before then, but we we wanted to give it a little bit of wiggle room and 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 actually share how we feel about this because it it is undeniable that people do give a shit, <laughs> and, and it feels worthwhile. And these are players that we do think and care about. So we're going to talk about our Hall of Fame ballots and break down all twenty eight players uh, on this year's uh, ballot, uh, and then later on we're going to talk about why Pablo Lopez is maybe the most important player left in this Major League Baseball offseason. We are going to talk about some incredibly goofy, embarrassing owners speaking in public. Uh, then we'll we'll hit a few other moves, and then we will say adios. But Jake Mintz, we will begin in Cooperstown, New York, where next, this summer, this year, it's 2023. I don't know why I haven't made that adjustment yet. This summer... Fred McGriff will be inducted alongside an undetermined number of other players to be determined by the Baseball Writers Association of America ballot that has already been filled out. It's already, we're past the deadline, but we will get the results next Tuesday. And because of that, we wanted to to talk about some of these players. In fact, all of these players we are going to acknowledge at some point and share who we would vote for if we had votes. For full disclosure, Jordan and I are now officially... Ooh, that's true. Who's paying members yeah. of the Baseball Writers Association There's of America for the very first time. We are not able to vote for the Hall of Fame until 10 years from now when Jordan has nine children in his Indiana home. <laughs> and, you know, I'm off somewhere gallivanting across the world and neither of us are writing about baseball anymore. So for but now... Hey, that's that's most of the Hall of Fame writers at this point. Bingo. So for now, <laughs> we are merely filling this ballot out for fun. Unlike our colleague at Fox Sports, Pedro Mora, who had a real ballot for yeah, the first, first time. Yeah, his first one. Congrats to Pedro. And to Pedro. we encourage you ch- checking that out. Uh, Jake, before we get to the players, let's talk about where, how we feel about this topic at this stage of our baseball fandom, our baseball coverage career, our podcast host life. I mean, this is ripe for 
coming on a podcast and just just letting loose, right? And delivering some flaming takes. And there were times during our our over the last, you know, 10 years of making baseball content with you when I would be more than excited to do that the day the ballot comes out. And as soon as we start, like I would be totally there to do that. But that is that has changed for a variety of reasons. So we can get into some of those, but what 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 are the first kind of emotions and feelings you you have when you hear oh the Hall of Fame ballot like what what are we talking about here? There are so many other things, both in baseball and outside of the sport, that dominates my life that I would rather think about and spend time and energy on than the Hall of Fame ballot. And like you yep. said, that hasn't always been the case. But in my ripe old age of twenty seven, I'd rather cook dinner or hang out with my girlfriend or watch cycling or spend time reading about prospects than I would diving deep into the vague morality and statistical haze that is the Hall of Fame. And the Hall of Fame was created as a means to celebrate Mm -hmm. phenomenal careers in the sport of baseball, to give players a pedestal for their accomplishments, right? Their on-field accomplishments. And what it has become now in the year of our Lord, 2023, is half uh, moral hand-wringing over steroids and half scrutiny over the players who maybe do not reach the qualifications for enshrinement. And what, what that means is it's no longer feels like that celebration to me. It's more about chipping away at the players who people don't think belong than the players who do think belong, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, it is fun to look back at these careers and compare numbers and we're baseball nerds at the heart of it. And we, we do enjoy doing that. And that's part of why we're doing it now. And I have to say over the last couple of days going through this experiment, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Right. Mm -hmm. But not as much as I used to, and not as much as many other people on the baseball internet do. Yes. Yes. I think that's fair. And you know, for me, and I I think I mentioned this on the pod before, but you know, I wrote my senior thesis on the Hall of Fame. Um, like I, there was a time when I was very invested, especially when it was really a, a, a steroid heavy uh, topic. You know, I, I majored in communications and, and did a lot of you know rhetorical studies in college, and I I found it really interesting. And of course, I wanted to do my senior thesis on baseball and just the way that people talked about steroids, both or the players, you know, either uh, assumed or proven to have taken steroids on the ballot. And the way that we talk about them in our ballot uh, reveals, right, on, our, on, the, on these columns and the way that we decide why players deserve to be in or not, I found that really interesting. And I, I consume myself. I wrote 90 pages on it, right? Like I went all in on it. But the other thing and, and the biggest thing that I remember learning from that is the character clause that is referred to so often now extended beyond just steroids, of course, which I, which I think is reasonable. But the history of that clause is the reason that was put in initially was to get people in. It was it was a way to honor the best people, not keep the worst people out. And that is something that has been completely lost to history, <laughs> uh, of course, and has been flipped on its head and has now been turned in a different way. And and listen, we still, to your point, you know, part of the reason why this is such a challenging topic is because we now grapple more, for better or for worse, for for 
whether it makes sense or not with the actual people that we're talking about here. And that is another thing that you kind of have to opt into or not, whether you decide that is part of your evaluation. And we all have different kind of standards there, but that's also weird because this should be about baseball and we, it's more fun to talk about baseball, but we know that that's, that's kind of short-sighted and not really fair to do. I would say Kurt Schilling is responsible for like half of me not caring about this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And the reason for that is so much of the Hall of Fame discussion relates to the Hall of Fame weekend when the players are actually enshrined and they go up and they mm -hmm. make their speech and it's all about them and we are celebrating them. And it was as simple as Kurt Schilling, after all the crazy out-of-pocket wild offensive shit that he said, that was not someone that I wanted to see celebrated. Mm -hmm. That's not someone that uh, most of the baseball world wanted to walk up on a stage and have his moment in the sun, mm -hmm. right? That being said, on the field, what he accomplished, he definitely deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. Would I have voted for him? No, because I didn't want to see him get his flowers, right? right? And that's part of this what very makes it hazy yeah. conundrum. And right? makes it easier to be like, I can't, this is not enjoyable, right? And that doesn't mean that, that we don't want to do our best to tackle difficult subjects. At the same time, like, I don't feel bad for <laughs> not necessarily wanting to dive in first in, into this topic, because especially when it is, it's, it is lower stakes. It is not, it's, we're looking backwards. That's the other thing about it, right? You mentioned, oh, I'd rather be about prospects, right? We do prefer to look forward unless we're looking back a hundred years. <laughs> mm. we'll, we'll look all ball. the way back yeah 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 we'll do dead ball battles but other than that the other thing of course and this is why this ballot starts to become more interesting is now we're talking about more players that we remember a whole bulk of their careers in the ways that even 10 years ago sure of course we grew up watching a lot of these guys and we can still say that about, about pretty much everyone on this ballot there was a time where it was like I don't have any connection to some of these guys that only played in the 90s or only played in the 80s and XYZ. Anyway, okay, enough preamble. Correct. Um, yeah, How yeah. are we going to do this? How are we actually yes. going to do this? Well, there are 28 players on the ballot. We have split them up into one, two, three, four, five, six different tiers and categories. And at the end, we will tell you who we, Jake Mentz, Jordan Schusterman, your eighth favorite baseball prognosticators, would vote for on our ballots. And to kick things off, group number one, which we will call so cute. That's all. Uh, you little adorable players. Essentially, this is the <laughs> first year guys who have absolutely no chance of ever getting in, whose careers just simply don't stack up. And while they will not get into the Hall of Fame, they will not be enshrined in Browns and Cooperstown. Their careers were still remarkable nonetheless. And we will honor them in order of least to most baseball reference wins above replacement. <laughs> All right, we'll do that. I will say, let's let so getting on the Hall of Fame ballot is amazing. That's also a very small percentage of players of all time. Obviously, you have to play 10 years, um, and then you have to get put on. I mean, there are 10 year players that don't get on. So these are amazing careers. Obviously, not Hall of Famers. Let's begin with Houston Street from the bottom. One, one quick thing, sorry about that. I want baseball reference to say at the top of a player mm. page whether they were on the ballot. Totally agree. I honestly think it's a great suggestion, and we all should send it directly to Sean Foreman. All right. We, let's pass that along. Uh, okay. We begin again. We'll, we'll go from the bottom. We will each say one nice thing about these players to celebrate their careers. Houston Street, Jake Mintz, go ahead. 324 career saves is a shitload. It is more than a role this Chapman. Every time I wander downtown in New York to Houston Street, I think of this man. I love that he didn't throw gas, right? He he was a closer with guile and with command. 
pitched for 13 years, wasn't associated with one team, certainly not a Hall of Famer, but a memorable ball player nonetheless. Here's why I love Houston Street. Reliever through and through. So many relievers now are failed starters. Houston Street was a reliever the whole damn time, and he was damn, damn, damn good at it, uh, especially saving games and getting getting MVP votes down ballot as a Rockies closer. I mean, salute, my friend. All right. Give the man a purple heart for that. (laughs) Who's next? Next up is Andre Ethier. Mm. 21 career war, played in almost 1,500 games for just... Your Los Angeles Dodgers, which yes. I love, never played for any other team. He is seventh all time in hits as a Los Angeles Dodger. Mm. And I believe that if he had come along just five years later, maybe three years later, Dodgers hitting development would have turned him into a Hall of Famer. Oh, see, for me, it was more just it would have extended his career a little bit longer. Um, and because it would have been cool to see him on the like juggernaut Dodgers teams as opposed to just the really good Dodgers team. So, but no, I mean, he's, when I think Dodgers, I mean, he's still one of the first guys I think of from the last 20 years. Also, his nickname on baseball reference is daddy, which fucking rules. (laughs) All right. Who's next? Bronson Arroyo. Bronson Arroyo. When we're talking cultural contributions to the sport of baseball, this man (laughs) and his cornrows and his guitar are right up there among the greats. I did not know that he was born in Key West, and boy, does it make sense. Yeah, uh, he is uh, a soft-tossing icon. I mean, this dude was throwing in lollipop curves long past you should be with the kinds of major league hitters he was facing. He was giving up so many home runs. I know this is not saying a nice thing about him, but he was giving up so many. Like, to give up that many home runs and be on the Hall of Fame ballot, that that should tell you something about how unique Bronson Arroyo was as a pitcher. So there you go. He allowed 46 home runs in a single season as a 34-year-old in 2011. <laughs> and then I love his his 2006 season was outrageously good. 240 innings with a 142 ERA plus is just a remarkable, remarkable year. Also, the straight leg. Oh, uh, just one of the weirdest. Yes. Next up, R.A. Dickey. I think if you gave me three cocktails, Jordan, I would put R.A. <laughs> Dickey in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I agree. He is he is in the most unique, in the category of most unique careers ever um, for the obvious knuckleball reason, but just trajectory is unbelievable. And that Cy Young season was one of the more memorable individual seasons of my early, I'm watching baseball every day life. Uh, it was it was just sensational because you just didn't, even knowing like I knew about Tim Wakefield and I watched Tim Wakefield, but like, I don't think, no one has ever mastered the knuckleball over a individual stretch. I know there have been other great knuckleballers over time, but that stretch, I cannot imagine anyone mastering it like Ari Dickey did. And to do it in the modern era, right? He wasn't facing... Civil War generals or guys dying of tuberculosis. Like he's facing like the best hitters. And here's the other thing. It's aged even better because the knuckleball is essentially dead. Like yeah. it, it, it was the last salute and it was an incredible. So yeah, all right, Dickie, we love our Dickie. Right, A top right. 20 baseball reference page. And for me, the way that I think about the Hall of Fame more than others, and this is influenced by former 
uh, baseball prospectus and fan graphs person, Kevin Goldstein, who now works for the Minnesota Twins, is that it is the Hall of Fame. 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 Right? To me, it's who do I want my my great-grandkids, my (laughs) great-grandkids to remember and think about, and I want them to know about R.A. Dickey. And it's that simple. Next up on the list is Mike Napoli, a guy who I care less about my grandkids knowing about. Bottom line, though, this dude could really fucking hit. Career 117 OPS plus, higher than Xander Bogarts, Ryan Zimmerman, Carlos Santana, none of whom will be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe Bogarts. But this guy was just, he's just a bopper, man. He's just a bopper with a big beard. Yeah. And, you know, we still see him around. He's still, I believe, coaching with the Cubs, uh, I think. So he's still on our TVs as the first base coach or the quality control, control coach. But yeah, when he when he got a hold of one, I mean, those those two years in Texas, that was a scary at bat. You did not want to miss to Mike Napoli. And I think that when the Red Sox won the World Series in 13, he <laughs> transitioned into a fan more completely than any player we've ever see, seen during the celebrations. Just shirtless wandering the streets of Boston. Next up is J.J. Hardy. What a career. Really just an amazing career. Yeah, and for you, man, I mean, he's he's a he's a pretty important Oriole there in that in that little run. He was basically a more sustainable version of Andrelton Simmons. Not as great defensively at the peak, but he kept his bat <laughs> way better hitter. longer. Oh my god, I mean he had 30 homers in a season. Like he was uh, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't as good as Simmons, but certainly he was a top five defensive shortstop. With one of, I mean, all to me, it's it's one of the weirdest stances. We mentioned Bronson Rose leg kick, but the hands being that far back and away, there's I still can't really think of many other hitters that hit like JJ Hardy, but it worked. Matt Kane is our next guy, just like oh. kind of the pitcher version of Andre Ethier in some yeah. ways. One yeah. team only played for the Giants, certainly not a Hall of Famer. When I think of Matt Kane, I just think of like baby cheeks, man. That man had some just baby cheeks. Uh he is, it's probably the most, even more than Philip Umber, the most memorable perfect game for me besides Felix. That was just an incredible performance. Like that was just command wise. I actually was going to say the same thing about Jared Weaver here in a second for his no hitter. But like as far as just individual command performances for guys that weren't throwing overpowering shit, that was an unreal. I recommend everyone go back and watch his. I remember exactly game. where I was. I was at uh, Ben Starren's house. Oh. All right, our next one is Jason Worth, who leaves an incredible cultural legacy within the sport of baseball. Without him, do the Nationals ever win the World Series? Probably not. I saw a Jason Worth quote recently saying how he was like, yeah, I wasn't on the 2019 Nationals, but I basically took credit for it because that was like as satisfying for me as it was for everybody on the team. And he had his postseason moment with that walk-off home run in game four against the Cardinals mm-hmm. after 11 or 12 pitch at bat. Oh, yeah. Truly one of the best YouTube videos that you can go back and watch. I remember the time that he drove 105 on the DC Beltway which is a 55 driving too fast. Don't do that, kids. He ended up spending five days in jail. Yes. Certainly an unhinged individual. (laughs) And I like that, you know, I don't think he and I see eye to eye in terms of our political opinions. However, I do like that he engaged with the political process as a player. Mm -hmm. There is a tidbit on his Wikipedia page that one time he was with Ben Bernanke. um, (laughs) And here's a quote from, from Worth. Bernanke wasn't talking about that economic stuff. So instead, we talked about baseball, and it was a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, Jason Worth. I also just remember he was so bad in the first year of the contract with the Nats 
that it was like, this is one of the worst contracts ever. And to come back from that and to put up those huge seasons that he did in 12 and 13 and 14 was really impressive and really cool. Um, yeah, he's one of the most important nationals of all time, obviously. Next up, Johnny Peralta. I really don't have a lot to say about <laughs> Johnny Peralta. Here, this is easy. Johnny Peralta is so funny because of all the steroid discourse that we have. Yeah. Johnny Peralta suspended for steroids after having the best year of his career, still making being on the Hall of Fame ballot is just funny. Like, and he also had a great career, uh, all things considered, as an enormous shortstop. That is what I think of Johnny Peralta. Enormous, or even third baseman, as a thick shortstop with 200 homers. Uh, and that's that's all it is. But yeah, he juiced. And yeah, so he had his best year of his career. So, so be it. Jared Weaver is next up. He will not make the Baseball Hall of Fame. But he is a first ballot, let's smoke weed on the beach and learn how to surf <laughs> Hall of Famer. A real yeah, three-year he, stretch of dominance in the middle of his career. Yeah, he yeah. had a season where he threw 235 innings with an ERA plus over 150, which is really, really nuts in the mind. Yeah, no, it was it was a hell of a run there um, for those decent Angels teams. I mean, <laughs> this is before the Angels were entirely incompetent. And yeah, again, like a really weird, unique delivery, wasn't throwing that hard, and people just didn't know what the hell to do with it. Uh, it was it was a very, very unique uh, pitching profile. John Lackey! <laughs> John Lackey. Uh, John Lackey, uh, shout out to one of the earlier viral baseball YouTube videos, which I don't even know how how to tell people to find. But anyway, um, John Lackey. Pedroia. Yeah, Dustin Pedroia. Uh, John Lackey, also uh, on some of those early Angels teams, of course, you know, as a rookie in the World's right, he pitched in that World Series. And that was that was the beginning of what was, I mean, he, he, won, he pitched and won a game in that World Series in 2002. Um, he was one of the more, one of the earlier, in terms of this generation of, of GIFs, and funny internet clips of like psychos on the mound, right? That he definitely had that persona in a way that he carried on to then be kind of a psycho grumpy veteran yeah. in a way that was both entertaining and very impressive. I mean, the 2015 season was pretty, pretty remarkable uh, considering uh, the how bad he kind of was in his early 30s. Contemporary medical research has shown that breathing through your nose is much more beneficial from a health standpoint. But don't you dare tell that to John Lackey, a man who never once had a single gust of air enter his nostrils, mouth breathing only. Our last oh, player in this enormous category of first year ballot guys who will not ever be in the Hall of Fame is Jacob Bellsbury, Jacoby Ellsbury, who only ended up playing for 11 years. He is the epitome of speed, burns bright and burns quick, and dies even faster. That being said, his 2011 season is absolutely memorable. Yeah, I mean, again, eight war is hard to do, but 30-30 <laughs> uh, with the 376 on base is a good way to get to eight war. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I talk about, remember I was, I remember when the Yankees signed him very vividly. And because it was our freshman year uh, of college. And I remember just like coming back with someone. I was just like, holy shit, like that guy. Because the thing about it is in, in my head, it was like, oh, he had that season and then he got paid. 
But what happened was he had that season and then he was hurt and not anywhere close to as good. And then he got paid. <laughs> and so it was like, it, you would think you would go back and be like, if, if they just paid him off of that year and then it went to shit, fine, right? Because he looked like one of the best players in the world that season. But wow, did that just look like one of, it was one of the worst contracts of the, of the last 20 years. But it's that's probably season, Brian yeah. Cashman's biggest mistake. Yeah, by far. By far. All right, let's move on to our next category, which is sure to start rankling some feathers. I don't know if that's what feathers do, but this is nice career, but not quite. These are players who we think are a tick above the players we just talked about. But it, not because these guys are getting enough. votes. That's maybe yeah. a, a good place to start. These guys are getting votes. Not a lot of votes, but they're getting votes. And, and there are statistical arguments for all these guys where you could say, you know what? Okay, we wouldn't do it, but you know what? Okay, so let's go uh, through some of these guys. Let's start with Omar Vizquel, who is a deplorable human being, it seems, based upon the uh, sexual harassment and domestic abuse allegations that have bubbled out over the last couple of years. Just some really, really, really horrible stuff, like terrible stuff like disqualifying things, at least in our minds. That being said, even without all of that, his on-field performance in the eyes of many was not quite good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. And I'll admit it, before all of those revelations came out, I was pretty pro-Viskel on the spectrum. But at this point, you, this is not a guy who, like we said, we want to see happy. This is right. not someone who we want to see celebrated on top of a stage in Cooperstown. Exactly. And, you know, when you when you cry, I mean, listen, it's super fair to say that saying horrible things is disqualifying. But when you are veering into having done multiple horrible things, uh, yeah, you're not going to get very serious consideration from us. On the playing field, a relatively similar ish player to Vizquel was Tori Hunter, kind of a center field version of Vizquel, certainly a better hitter than Vizquel oh, yeah, was and didn't play quite as long and wasn't compiling as many stats. But known finishes. for his defense. What do you say? Is true. Known for his defense is yes. true. I mean, way better hitter. So I wouldn't say yeah. that, that, that that's similar. But but yes, known for his defense for sure. Known for his defense. He finished his career with a 110 OPS plus. Had some really memorable moments, including remember we brought, like just the he was the home run Rob guy. Oh yeah, for, for sure. Like he years. was absolutely for me even more than right. I'm sure people say you know Ken Griffey Jr. and I get that, but like for me, it was absolutely Tory Hunter. It was like if I was like playing catch near a fence when I was eight, it was like oh look, I'm Tory. It's Tory Hunter. Like that's that's who you were being if you were robbing a home run, and. At 50 career war, it's tough to put him in when Andrew Jones, who we'll get to, is just a better version of him in both yeah. ways. Like a better right. defender not, and a obviously much better did not have nearly the, the 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 length of career, but we can get to that. But similar profile in that sense, yes. Boy, oh boy, do I want to vote for Jimmy Rollins? Hmm. But you just can't. You really just can't. 470 career steals in the modern era is quite a large number. Finished as a, he was a worse hitter than I remembered. Never really hit for a whole lot of power and certainly didn't walk enough. Career 95 OPS hitter. The highest OPS plus he had in any season was 119. 
I mean, won the that's, MVP. yeah, I mean, that, that MVP season we just talked about Ellsbury. I mean, that also is one of the stronger individual seasons. Um, it's just, it's just a really fun stat line. 20 triples, <laughs> 20 triples and 30 homers. I don't know how many times that's been done ever because 20 triples is completely impossible nowadays. Um, maybe that'll come back to being more of a thing now. I, who knows? Uh, 20 triples is completely insane. Um, but so it's just a super fun stat line and, and obviously just one of the more likable, fun, cool players to watch that we've had. So, but yeah. And as important. As important and as memorable as he was, like the numbers really don't stack up when you compare them to other shortstops. Yeah. I mean, the counting stats are pretty impressive, like when you consider the steals, but I agree the overall hitting line is not there. There have been three 30 triple or sorry, three 20 triple 30 homer seasons in baseball history. Jimmy Rollins in 2007. Is it like Ty Cobb? Or is someone it like- I've never heard of named Jim Bottomley, who is apparently <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. Oh, maybe we'll do him for, for Dead Ball Mad Libs. That Jim was- Bottomley is what in the Hall of Fame. And year? then this guy uh, named Willie Willie Mays did it. Oh, I- <laughs> he was pretty good. So there you go. There's your there's your case for for Jimmy Rollins. I, I Listen, I, I think, the, again, the counting stats are, are nuts. Um, but it's just the overall overall offensive impact was not there. Next up, Jeff Kent, Mm. who, you know, if I really loved stats and numbers, beep, boop, bop, boop, and wanted to compare him with other second basemen, he probably stacks up. Probably does. 123 career OPS plus as a second baseman is crazy. 377 career home runs. Yeah, most homers as a second baseman, right? That's that's his the basic elevator pitch there for Jeff Kent. Uh, 560 doubles. He has an MVP that Barry Bonds should have won, but still, you know, I can't take it away from his, his performance page. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he was amazing. This is a great one where we have no attachment whatsoever. And so I get it, but I don't care. <laughs> so, don't care. And it's close enough to on the border to where I just am not uh, passionate about it, but I, I see it. I see it. So it's 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 not. It is not a, of this group of guys. It is not a completely stronger case than Rollins, in my opinion. Speaking um, of, yeah. I get it, but we don't care. Let's zoom ahead to Bobby Abreu, who is. <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, okay, we'll do Pettit and Burley together. Okay, sure. Bobby Abreu, who is the cause of this celeb for many uh, stat head sub- paying subscribers, <laughs> yes. is a really fun career and a guy that many people have gotten behind. But for whatever reason, I don't care enough to bang my fist on the table. I don't find that he was culturally like significant and memorable and defined that era of baseball for me. And his value, the argument about Bobby Abreu, is that he walked so much that he was such a valuable hitter. I get that. I agree with that. You know what? I don't really care to watch guys walk. And... Mm -hmm. Both things can be true. Like, he was a really impressive, valuable player because he walked a lot. I don't know if that makes him deserving of enshrinement into the Hall of Fame in my version of what the Hall of Fame is. Right. I mean, well, that's the thing. We all have our own versions and we'll get to our ballot later. Um, Yeah, I think that's fair. I think second, I mean, he's one of the best Venezuelan players of all time. Yep. Like one of like the three or four best Venezuelan players of all time. So that's 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 a pretty um I would say uh carries some weight there. But your general point about the walks, I do agree. Um, right, and two time all-star doesn't scream Hall of Fame. 
No one's but, going to the yard yeah. to be like, let's see some walks today, baby. Right, right. But hey, but it, it certainly helped the, what is amounted to a very, very impressive statistical uh, profile for Bobby Abreu. Next two pitchers, or sorry, the next two players on this list are both left-handed pitchers, Andy Pettit, who I don't care about, and Mark Burley, who boy, oh boy, do I care a lot about. <laughs> yes, and I think that's a, a result of Yankees versus not very much not the Yankees. Uh, let's do Pettit first. He has a weird case because he also was did, did steroids and admitted it, which he gets like credit for, but also what weird because that's also <laughs> in some cases it's like he admitted it, so it's fine. It's like, well, all right. Um, also, it's one of what, what you're talking about here is unbelievably durable left-handed pitchers whose ERAs do not wow you, but whose durability and of course, in Pettit's case, who's ridiculous. I mean, any Pettit pitched an. I know this is because he's on the Yankees, but he literally pitched an entire season's worth in the postseason and was very good. Like that's you do have to do that once you have those opportunities, and so he did that, and and I, that is an impressive thing. Um, but Burley, we are much more attached to because we watched him more, and he was unique in other ways. Fourteen consecutive 200 inning seasons in the 21st century will never be broken. I think that is up there with DiMaggio in terms of <laughs> untouchable baseball. And, and 198.2 in his last year of his career, never hurt, never hit the IL. How many gold gloves did he win? Four, four gold gloves with an iconic defensive play to go with it. Um, not no to hitter. mention, yeah. What'd you say? It was the no hitter or perfect game. Perfect game. Yeah, right? no, per, right? he he threw a perfect game, right? Perfect game. Uh, uh, I mean, worked he, quicker than anyone else. Yeah, it, like it, it. He was so ahead of his time and and just like to, totally different from everything that we had, and was just such a delight to watch. Um, and the point I've always made is again, just statistically, sure the ERA might might not shock you. Go compare him and Jack Morris, and you'll be uh, you'll be surprised. Uh, all Jordan, right. Let's yeah. take a quick break here. We're going a little bit longer on this than I think we intended, but I got to say, I'm having a good time Whoa, talking about the Hall of Fame. Fun talking about the Hall of Fame. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with the remaining uh, nine players on the ballot. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And welcome back to the Hall of Fame special here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. I'm one of those two people. Guess which one? So far, we have gone through the first 18 players on the ballot. 19 players on the 19. ballot. Yep. 19. Sorry, my, my math bad. Oof. Uh, Oof, and we have crossed awkward. out Houston Street, Andre Ethier, Bronson Royal, R.A. Dickey, Mike Napoli, J.J. Hardy, Matt Kane, Jason Wirth, Johnny Peralta, Jared Weaver, John Lackey, Jacoby Ellsbury, Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, Andy Pettit, uh, Jeff Kent, Jimmy Rollins, Torrey Hunter, and Omar Vizquel. And we journey forward into a next category called Black Ink Red Flags. What does that mean, Jordan Schusterman? 
That means when you pull up their very impressive baseball reference page, you will see a healthy amount of black ink. Although, let me point out that not as much as you might think some of these guys. But the, the concept being black ink on baseball reference um, suggests league leader or a statistical uh, outlier. You know, if you won an award, it'll be bolded. And so it's very, very impressive careers, but they are not exactly slam dunks. There are red flags for one reason or another. We have three players in this category. Who should we begin with? Let's begin with Andrew Jones. I don't know with Andrew Jones. I think there are, right, the the two sides of the Andrew Jones story are, is he good enough to be in? And should he be in considering that he has a pretty concerning domestic violence, domestic battery uh, charge for which he was arrested back in 2012? I would not put him in uh, based upon his play on the field. And for me, that comes down to after he turned 30 years old, he turned in to a fucking pumpkin. Well, pumpkin implies it was like fake, which I don't like to me. Pumpkin implies like he was a fraud for his 20s. In in some ways, it's worse because he wasn't a fraud. He was amazing. And then suddenly he was terrible for reasons that seem to be somewhat fairly attributed to effort (laughs) and staying healthy and staying in shape and just not giving a shit anymore and like that is almost more offensive than just being like ah he got hurt i mean it was both rather that he took steroids (laughs) that's that is an interesting alternative timeline although this is a little bit late to still be taking steroids but um you know in the world where he could get away with it and he just took a bunch and was just i mean he dude he would be at freaking Easily 500 homers, maybe 600 homers, probably like 80 war or something crazy. And it would, and then it'd be a different conversation, different debate. I think this is one of the more fascinating cases we have. Now, there are other examples throughout baseball history of amazing first half or amazing peak, but not amazing longevity, stuff like that. This is the most extreme case we have for the people. But, but what Andrew Jones does have more than the players we just talked about in the previous category is when you were watching him in the 2000s, it was like, yeah, that's a Hall of Famer. It's not very complicated. He has 50 home runs, and he's the best defensive center fielder we've ever seen. So, like, that is the compelling case, and that is why he does have a good number of votes. Um, at the same time, yeah, it's 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 a tough one. It's definitely a tough one for... for Ten person. gold gloves is, is pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to Gary Sheffield. Hmm. Gary Sheffield finished his career with 60 war. He played for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different baseball teams and retired with a 140 OPS plus, which means he was 40% better than the league average hitter over that span. Jordan Schusterman, 509 homers, a career 292 hitter. How do we feel about Chef? Uh, 80 offensive war okay this dude was in 60 war as the worst defender basically statistically ever for better or for worse because he was so bad in the outfield and also DHing a bunch but when you consider that both from a rate basis what you just said at 140 ops plus and 80 war 
I mean, it should not even be a question. And yes, he comes with some steroid questions for sure. Mitchell report, never failed a test. You could put him in the same bucket as some other guys who have already been inducted, but also you could put him in the same bucket as Barry Bonds. But I just be, and I know he's on a million teams, but I am consistently, since he's been on the ballot, and what, this, this, is, this is his ninth year, 10th year? Um, he's been on the ballot forever. I am consistently stunned at the degree to which we overlook his statistical record. Now, I know we were not watching him. I, I, by the way, shout out to, to Pedro Mora, who wrote about him, and, and he's talked about how much he remembers growing up. Very, He was much more connected to Gary Sheffield in that way. But, like, I, I just... It's it's such an overwhelming statistical record that I, I'm shocked that that is is overlooked as much as it is in this conversation, even with the steroids discussion. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I think he he also yeah he I mean he seemed just it's just terrifying. The other thing the other thing about it is it's not just the power numbers and the I mean he didn't strike out. He was swinging harder and faster and and more wild than anyone, and he never struck out a hundred times in a season. He never struck out ninety times in a season. <laughs> Like he's 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 one of a kind, man. He's one amazing. of the best hitters we've had in recent memory. Quick wild thing. Here's something I learned from his Wikipedia page. October 1995, Sheffield was shot in his left shoulder after an attempted robbery when he stopped his car at a traffic light. So he gets shot in October 95. Uh 96, he goes 314, 465, 624. The best year of his career. For a 189 OPS plus, 42 home runs, and finishes. Just sixth in the MVP. He is one of the worst defensive baseball players of all time. Negative 27.7 career <laughs> D-War on baseball reference is astounding. Like, also, hold on a second. So at the top in positions, it says right fielder, third baseman, shortstop. How much shortstop did he play in the big leagues? Wow. He played, I guess his rookie year, his first two years with the Brewers, he played... 94 games at shortstop. That is an amazing thing to remember. I mean, he honestly played more infield at the early part of his career than I knew. Um, Here's my he take. he was so Here's bad. my take. Ready? Yeah. He is David Ortiz, but a better hitter, didn't get to play DH, and doesn't have the postseason pedigree, and didn't play for one team. <laughs> I mean, he he did. I mean, he did 97. 97 was pretty freaking sweet. That postseason now, sweet. he didn't do it a bunch of times like Ortiz. But And the last thing about Sheffield, the hand waggle. Hand yeah, waggle that's, that's is... another one. We just talk about in terms of like iconic, who are we mimicking? It's th- that 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 like holds up. I mean, that's like oh, yeah. people are, kids are still doing that. Kids are pretending to be Javi Baez now, but the difference is that Gary Sheffield <laughs> made contact. Let's move on to Carlos Beltran. First year on the ballot, easily the most compelling first year player that we have here in 2023 finished his career with 70 career wins above replacement, 435 home runs, 312 steals, a 119 OPS plus Jordan Schusterman. And oh, sorry. He also finished his career with no hair. <laughs> um, here's my question about Beltran. We'll get to the Astro stuff in a second. Yes. I mean, overall 70 wars, usually a no brainer. Um, but I am curious how you feel about having watched Beltron growing up. Did he feel like a no shit Hall of Famer to you? I I honestly am kind of torn on this because to me, I know this is like a subjective, but this is a, this is a way that people talk about this, and I think it's fair. Do you remember thinking like absolutely this guy's a Hall of Famer? 
Yeah. You, you say yes? Okay. Yeah, I think it was the 2004 season with Houston after he got yeah. traded. And, and just, also like, the postseason over. record, too, early on. was just so insane. But that's really what did it over the top for me, I feel like. Right. And, you know, this is stupid. He was in backyard baseball as the Royal, <laughs> right? And that holds a oh, certain... I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the weirder, one of the great backyard baseball things ever is that they just made up nicknames for a bunch of the big leaguers. And do you remember what his was? It was Buckles. And I still don't know where they got that or what it came from, but, but I just will always remember Royals, Beltron, backer baseball. Yes, anyway, continue. Beltron, one of eight players in baseball history with 300 homers and 300 steals, yep. which is a pretty incredible group of players. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys in that list have the last name Bonds. I think on the statistical side, he's easily in for me. For sure. Just the front half of his career, he's this incredible athlete who's playing a pretty good center field, who's stealing a lot of bases. And then once his legs start to go, he just transitions into an elite hitter, right? Like he's just becomes a hitter for the second half of his career. Um, And I think that's really impressive. Like those years with St. Louis, he made the all-star team both times. And was a well above league average, you know, middle of the order force for Cardinals teams that were going to the World Series. OPS over a thousand in the postseason in over 250 plate appearances is completely ridiculous. Um, and I know some people think that, that this is not even, I, I don't even want to have an argument about whether clutch is real or not. Like if you are doing that, that is incredible and is absolutely worth bonus points on top of the incredible career that he had. Uh, eighth all-time in switch hitter war. Um, probably the best, and eh, probably the second best switch hitter of his generation behind Chipper Jones. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's statistically not close. Do you now, care? Jordan, if you yeah. go on his baseball reference oh, page... Yeah. Yeah. And you scroll to the very bottom, you'll see in 2017 as a 40-year-old, he played for Houston. Oh, that was shit. probably a pretty forgettable year. I mean, he was terrible at the plate. He had 81 OPS plus. Like, Dude, do you, if I had to tell you, if I had to ask you right now how many plate appearances he got that season, how would you have guessed 509? Because I no. would not have. No. Think about how much better the Astros would have been were Beltran not playing. If he never and joined, if they were, if he was just helping them cheat instead of also hitting like shit, the Astros probably win the World Series without Beltron anyway because there's no cheating scandal. Yes, but someone else is taking 509 plate appearances for that. That's so funny. That's such a funny. Oh my god! Imagine that. Here's here's the argument, right? Yeah, he helped them cheat, but it was balanced out by the fact that he sucked. Put him in the <laughs> so- Hall of Fame. Uh do you he care was, about this? Like, I I actually, I know uh, Ken Rosenthal wrote about this, and I actually, I have not read that yet, and I'm, I'm curious what his take is, but um, I don't know. I This is one where I, 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 like, haven't fully, because we've spent so much time thinking about how we grapple with Astros, blah, 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 but we haven't, like, we've now speed run to, like, suddenly having to think about this in a Hall of Fame context in a very weird way. I don't care, um, but I know some people do, so He was where the Mets manager for, like, three months he did the, <laughs> three months the, it was less than that i think he did the winter meetings interviews like for me it's interesting because the baseball world certainly thinks he's culpable and guilty enough that he has not gotten hired again in yeah any sort yeah of significant yeah role besides and i think he will at some point on, but yes. but yeah i think he will get hired but but like but for this point like we don't 
I don't think we, I don't think I give a shit. Don't. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I care either. Um, it's certainly an embarrassing way to end because here here's the only reason it matters. Doesn't matter to us. We vote for him. Um, had that not happened, he would be beloved, and people would be so excited to vote for him. I do honestly believe that. Um, for multiple fan fan bases, I really do yeah. believe that. Um, and uh, instead, he had this weird stink. But next group, let's talk about the shoe ins if they never did drugs. Before we talk about the relievers, Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez, who were two of the best hitters of their generation. Something I said to Jordan yesterday when we planned out the pod, and he said that is underrating what Alex Rodriguez was. <laughs> now, the difference between these guys and the and the players wrapped up in the Mitchell report is that they tested positive in an era where there was testing and. You know, the Mitchell they broke reported rules. They broke happened. actual rules and were punished right. for them. They multiple just, times. Yes. These guys like definitely cheated and it definitely benefited their careers and their stat lines. And they will forever be soiled because of it. Here's the other thing is when you cheat that blatantly later on, it only makes it worse to speculate on how much you were cheating early on. Like, then it's like you have no benefit of the doubt for the early parts of your career. Cheating or not cheating? Cheating. Alex Rodriguez posted a 140 OPS plus over the course of his career. He hit 696 home runs. This is one where, like, the, the 696 home runs is not the headliner. Because for me, the peak for Aaron is so insane and not given credit enough. Like, here, here's the way the way I put it is like, it, look, A-Rod is not a likable, like, listen, we don't have to explain this, whatever. People don't like A-Rod, I get it. But I don't know why we don't talk about the A-Rod peak the way we talk about the Bonds peak. Honestly, honestly. Because yes, the, maybe he wasn't was have a 500 on base percentage, I get that. But he was hitting 50 homers and stealing 40. Like, I, what, 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 like, I just, it was so ridiculous. And, and it's not even that, like, I remember watching him every day. Obviously, I wasn't, a seven year old Jordan was not watching the 2002 Rangers. But when I go back and look at him playing every game for three years and hitting 150 home runs as a shortstop, I'm like, what, why is this not considered the peak that it was? It's just because people really don't like him. He was suspended for an entire season. Yeah. An entire season. <laughs> and he's horrible on a broadcast. <laughs> and those two things together have really sullied him in the public eye. And I don't think that there are many people willing to go to bat. 100%. I get that. I get that. I'm not, this is not me pointing it and being like, that's why you should vote for him. I just, it, like, it feels like an oversight for people who just like baseball to just I act agree. like that wasn't amazing. Right, because A-Rod, what he has become in the in the cultural context <laughs> here in 2023, completely overshadows how know, outrageously good of a baseball player he was, regardless of what cocktails he was putting into his body. At yeah. that point, when your numbers are this good, I don't care what you were doing, man. Yeah. It, this was insane how good he was at this point. <laughs> right, right. I just want, I, I, that is it. I just, this is my using this platform because I have just, I don't see anyone ever saying this about him in the way that we do about Bonds, honestly. Like, I, I don't, and I don't understand it. Okay, Manny, similar from a hitting perspective. Right. But lovable. But, but people fucking love that guy. And so, so he gets all of the, 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 the juice in every sense of the word um, for his uh, hitting stats. And by the way, it's totally deserved because holy shit, um, nine, eight consecutive silver sluggers, 
while everyone was slugging and he was winning the silver slugger every year. Um, just one of the most gorgeous swings you can have. He is the counterpart to Griffey in that sense. I know people say that left-handed hitting, left-handed swings are, are more beautiful for some reason. I give you Manny Ramirez because I still have not really seen anything that is as aesthetically pleasing as Manny Ramirez barreling a baseball. Um, man, but what a dummy. I mean, this dude was cheating and lying about it in the goofiest possible ways. He finished his career with 69.3 war. A-Rod finishes career with 117.6 <laughs> career war. So that's 17 plus uh, 20, uh, 31. So that's like almost a 40 war difference. And that 40 war difference is made up by the fact that Manny is like a 40 war better hang than A-Rod. And that's why in the eyes of the baseball public, he is a much more sympathetic figure. Yes, he cheated a ton of times, but... He cheated in an awesome way. He was like, like the level of blatantness that he cheated with. There, he was not trying to deceive anybody. He Clearly was just not. taking drugs yeah. and trying to play some ball. And for that, yeah. I tip my cap. He played <laughs> professionally. He played professionally until he was like, how old? He was 42. 40. He was yeah, playing I mean. with Aguilas. He went to Taiwan. He hit that home run and the announcer said that ball is long gone like an ex-girlfriend who will never return. One of the greatest calls in, in sports history. Manny, another amazing thing. He's just from Manhattan in New York. And living oh, yes. here, yes. I have such a deep appreciation for that. There are like six baseball fields here. It's cold half the year. No one grows up here in Manhattan and plays professional baseball except for Manny. And what that means is that every kid who lives here thinks that they're going to be Manny Ramirez and none of, they're probably just going to be like Andrew Velasquez, maybe. But what Manny accomplished in the videos of him playing in New York City in 1980, whatever the fuck, are absolutely incredible. And he goes from that, like a cold weather high school prospect in New York City, seeing 80 miles an hour to the big leagues in like four years. And it's immediately good. I think when we... When I talk about players that I want my kids to know about, man, he's just at the top of that list. This guy fucking ruled. I love how yeah. much, I just love how much he cheated. He was like, yeah, bring the <laughs> steroids over here. He was just like shooting up fucking in the dugout, right? Also, dude, I mean, obviously he's a face of the Cleveland team. He's a face of the Red Sox. But the Manny Wood and Dodger, like that was a crazy time. Like he was amazing for them too. And this is when he was like super duper cheating for sure. But like, wow, wow. Oh man. Like if it would be that old. And and also like, again, statistically, it's it's just a beautiful, like when you think 300, 400, 500, Manny Ramirez, like that's really the first guy that comes to mind. Um, so yeah. And then last thing about cheating before we kind of move on away, away from this this topic if you're gonna cheat cheat good right <laughs> well cheat, to me it's not just cheat good cheat great the yeah. list of players on the mitchell report or players who have tested positive is so long ja i'm just scrolling through it now jack cuss ryan franklin <laughs> jerry hairston david justice also rands who were juicing okay and this motherfucker manny ramirez was one of the best sports dopers of all time. This man yeah. did it right. Okay. If you're going to ruin your body for the sake of sports, ruin it right. 
And for that, Manny Ramirez makes it on my ballot. Jordan. Oh my God. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about relievers. Jake, there's two relievers. I know some people might have thought we might have included one of these earlier on, but let's talk about who, who do you want to do first? Do you want to do Bill? Let's do Billy Wagner first, actually. Okay. I think they're the same. Okay. Kind of. Billy Wagner, Francisco Rodriguez. Billy Wagner uh, has a special place in our hearts. Can I set the stage? Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, the, you're the sidearm reliever, so I'll shut up. There are six relievers in the Hall of Fame, six pure relievers in the Hall of Fame. Raleigh Fingers, Trevor Hoffman, Goose Gossage, Mariano Rivera, Lee Smith, and Bruce Suter. In my mind, Dennis Eckersley and Hoyt Wilhelm are kind of different things in the modern context. Guys who compiled saves, who were closers, who were late inning high leverage p- players. Fingers, Hoffman, Gossage, Rivera, Suter, Lee Smith. That's it. Six. Okay. And because of that, I don't, th- I just don't think that's enough. I don't think that properly um, exemplifies what that position means mm-hmm. and highlights those who were truly great in that sense. And because of that, I think Wagner is a shoe in for his level of dominance. And I think K Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, is a pretty, no doubt guy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think that that might surprise some people, but the to kind of expand on the on the point you were just making, like it's more about that each rep, you would want each position to be represented fairly equally as the best of what they did. And listen, there are some people that will just never kind of get over that premise and just say relievers not named Mariano Rivera are not worthy. Because they're not like obviously people would move Rivera aside, but beyond that, it's like no, they didn't do any much. They were failed starters. They threw a fraction of the innings, and I hear that to some degree. But like these are different jobs, and the thing is, is when you it, the funny thing about oh, it's a failed starter. There are also starters that could not do this. There are good starters that could not do we like honestly, right? And that's something that we'll, again we'll never know. It's a tough hypothetical for some people to get around, but like this is a specific skill, and if you can do it for this long, it's, that's the other thing you should get extra credit for. Because think about how fickle relievers are now; they're bouncing back and forth between being amazing and terrible all the time. So if you are good in this role for a long time, I do think you should be celebrated. Ninety-nine percent of failed starters are just failed starters. That's it. They start and then they fail and then they work at, you know, they're not, Sears they're not or they sell real anymore. estate or they open up a baseball facility. Okay. Yeah. Most of them do not become Billy fucking Wagner. That's not what happens. And I think it is unfair to say, oh, it's just a Wade Davis ruined this for everyone else. Right. Is kind of what happened in my mind. <laughs> yes. Billy because Wagner. he was a starting pitching prospect. Correct. Yes. Billy Wagner. Let's just talk about it. Okay. A career 11.9 K per nine over a 16 year career, 903 innings. He struck out before everyone was striking out as much as they are now. Correct. A career, career 187 ERA plus. And he retired at age 38 after an all star season for the Braves in which he uh, had a 143. ERA in 69 innings with 37 saves. He could have kept going, right? He just wanted to chill with his kids. This is a guy who could have definitely <laughs> continued pitching for another handful of years. 
and gotten to, you know, a thousand innings, gotten to 450 saves. He could have kept compiling, but he didn't. The, the argument with Wagner Wright is the peak of dominance is absolutely unheard of and unparalleled in baseball history. 1999, 287 ERA plus, 124 strikeouts in 74 innings. He let up only 13 runs that season in 74 innings. So I like 35 hits in 66 games. That one, uh, that's the other thing. Unhittable. Right, it, that's really the term you're you're looking at when we're talking about Billy Wagner, um, and yeah, man, I mean, and the way that that people talk about, we did a whole podcast on our on our on our old pod about the best pitch ever, and Billy Wagner's fastball was was under strong consideration, and I know some people might have laughed at it, but then you talk to the people that saw it, it was like, yep. That was different. There was nothing like that. There was absolutely nothing like it. One of the arguments against Wagner is that in 11 innings in October, he fucking sucked. And that is true. He allowed uh, 13 runs in 11 innings. So he allowed more runs in the postseason. Okay. <laughs> the same amount of runs in the postseason in 11 innings as he did in that 1999 season when he pitched 75 innings. Okay? Yeah. So... That's an argument against him. But what I would say to people, you cannot compare every reliever to Mariano Rivera. Comparing every reliever to Rivera is like comparing every outfielder to Bonds or every shortstop to Ripken or, you know, every hitter to Ted Williams. He is the best. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about greatness, not number one. Mm -hmm. And I think comparing relievers to Rivera, saying, oh, well, you didn't have the numbers. That doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. So for me, yeah. my mind, Wagner's in and I think you would agree with that. Right. Yeah, I agree. OK, let's talk about my hotter take. <laughs> Bring it. Fra Francisco Rodriguez. Jordan, who is Francisco Rodriguez? Uh, K-Rod, you, you don't get to be. Look, there have been a fair share of Rodriguez's in baseball history, but only one K-Rod. And that is because Francisco Rodriguez as a 20 year old took the baseball world by storm. And I know that the the Angels, there were a lot of other uh, good good players on, on that Angels team in 2002. But what he did as a 20-year-old as a, hey, just so you guys know, I am now one of the best relievers in the league and I'm a child and you can't, add, you can't touch me. Sorry, that's just how this is going to work. <laughs> he threw, he threw five and two-thirds innings in the regular season in 2002. And then threw, uh, he threw, he threw eight and two thirds in the World Series alone. <laughs> I mean, he, like it, it is one of the most incredible, like just like surprise. I'm here uh, in baseball history. And then it was like, oh, like was that real? Yeah, it was real because the next ten years he would become uh, one of the, one of the most dominant relievers in the league. And I think the combination of the dominance here. Uh, not quite to the same degree as as Wagner, although again he was striking out twelve per nine in two thousand five, right? Twelve per nine in, in five straight uh, seasons or four straight seasons is incredible. And then to to start to have the fall off where it was like, ah, well this happens suddenly. This amazing reliever sucks, even though he's you know twenty eight or twenty nine or thirty, and then to come back and still have three more forty save seasons was a reminder of how good he was. If you are like me and you believe K-Rod should be in the Hall of Fame, then 
you also believe that Wagner should be in the Hall of Fame, right? You don't vote for K-Rod and not Wagner. And so what I'm now going to do is argue for K-Rod, and I think that also is an argument for Wagner. Does that make sense? Yeah. K-Rod has a lower career ERA than Smith, Gossage, Fingers, and Hoffman, okay? So that's four of the six relievers in the Hall of Fame, lower career ERA, when the offensive environment was totally wild. Better K-rate than all of them. He is fourth all-time career in baseball history in saves and holds the single-season record for the most saves in a year with 62 in 2008, okay? That, to me, is a Hall of Fame-level career for a closer. Now, where he doesn't stack up, where he and Wagner don't stack up, is in regards to career innings. And that is because the expectations of what a closer or what a reliever is supposed to be in Major League Baseball has changed drastically. And so you cannot compare K-Rod to Gossage in that context, right? He was not given the opportunity to pitch as much as Gossage did, who, like, just looking at Gossage, right? Uh, 1975, there was 141 innings with no starts. 1977, 133 innings with no starts. That doesn't happen anymore. We don't do that in baseball. And it's only going to keep going that way. And this is related to, we're going to have Kimbrell, Chapman, and Jansen coming up soon, where their innings are not even close to where K-Rod and, and Wagner got to. And so for me, if you're going to, you know, allow a certain amount of players in from each position, K-Rod has to be on that list. He really does. And I know maybe he doesn't have the same, like, Late career, he was bouncing around with like the Orioles and the Tigers and the Brewers, and it doesn't really hold up necessarily. But what he did early on in his career with the Angels, winning that World Series, putting them on his back as a 20-year-old kid after only five innings in the regular season, I think this is a no-doubt Hall of Fame career as a reliever. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. And I, I, but look, man, he was all-star in 14 and 15. Like, I think that what he did... To come back after it seemed like he was trending down and be that good, I think it really helps this because it does look more than what would end up looking like, you know, kind of an Andrew Jones style, <laughs> you know, peak and then disappearance. It's a difference between Eric Gagne and what he is, right? Yeah. Well, and also, right, because again, he to, 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 you just mentioned what, fourth all time in saves? Fourth behind Rivera, Hoffman, and Lee Smith. Right, and that's because he got 126 of those or 130 plus of them after it looked like he was kind of heading out of being a closer all the time. Um, and so that is that is a testament to how good he was. And and yeah, it too, like he was... <laughs> I think you also give him the credit for, for the strikeouts kind of earlier earlier at that time, same way we do with Wagner. Um, but no, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. you you've, you've, you've convinced me. Really? So, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't. Wow. It's not like I came into this being like, no way, K Rod. But I, I honestly just like hadn't thought about him very much. And this is because it's his first year on the ballot. Like I haven't. That's the thing. And you know, this is this is his first year on the ballot. So I, it was not one I was necessarily anticipating. Um, and so now that we're here, it's like, yeah, no, it's a pretty strong case. And the tough part with him is like, you got to get Wagner in first, right? And so you know, <laughs> right? And Wagner. So just this is another time to check in with some of the action. Actually, let's do that at the end. Let, let's finish up, and then we'll actually talk about where, as it stands now, who it looks like could be getting in. So let's move uh, to our final category, and that is the relatively easy votes, right? I mean, we've talked uh, so far, we've talked for an hour now about all the guys, why they're in, why they're not, for obvious or not obvious reasons. 
But right now, uh, this is a good transition to where the ballot actually is. Of course, if you don't follow Ryan Thibodeau, who's been tracking this incredibly well for the last, you know, I don't know how many years he's been doing it now. But uh, with about half of the year, not half, but 42 percent of the ballots known, um, Todd Helton and Scott Rowland, who we're about to talk about, are both hovering around 80 percent, which is above the 75 percent threshold necessary for election. Todd Helton is in the fifth year of his uh, balloting. This is number six for Scott Rowland. Now, those numbers, again, there's a lot of, I do not think where it stands now, it is a guarantee that either of them or both of them get in, but I think there's a decent chance. Um, And so why is that? Why are these the two that are comfortably ahead of the other ones? That is because they do not come with a lot of the bigger red flags. Now you could say, well, so actually, if we were to make up the red flags for these guys, what would it be? Todd Helton, it's he played in Coors Field, and I'll talk about that in a second. Well, let's talk about Roland first, okay? Because it seems like he has been trending more towards election and has had more support recently, and it looks like it's more likely to get there sooner than Helton is. So let's talk about Roland, because I know we don't necessarily have an attachment to Roland, but I think we can understand it. So where are you at with him? So the argument against him is that the offensive numbers don't wow you, right? 316 home runs. 122 career OPS plus, 281 average. Like he was a very, 2,000 hits. Like he was a very, very, very good hitter, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't a top 10 hitter in the world Mm -hmm. at any point except for maybe 2004. Yeah, 2004 for sure. Now the argument for him and why he is on my ballot is that this is just Nolan Arenado, but from Indiana. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right? i mean if you want if you again we're talking to throw back to Vizquel, but like if you want to value the greatest defenders of all time like scott Rowland was one of them even if it's not he doesn't come with the amount of gold gloves that brooks robinson has or the amount of highlights that maybe some other ones he is that he has that and he was a damn good hitter for an extremely long time in a way that Andrew Jones cannot say that he was, right? And again, you're talking about making all-star teams as late as, I mean, the 2011 one was, was goofy, but 2010 still being a well above average hitter um, with the Reds. And so, no, I agree with you. Um, it's, it, it is going to end up being a very, like Arenado is going to end up having a very similar case. His numbers might be a little more boosted um, because of the early cores years. But, I mean, Roland was putting up, you know, 30 doubles, 30 homers uh, with this amazing defense for a decade. And that is worthwhile and worthy, I think, for sure. So, pretty pretty straightforward. It's not that interesting. But if he gets in, it's like, yeah, I totally get it. Uh, let's talk about Helton. Helton is the one I think I've become uh, the most passionate about in recent years. And for me, it's a matter of he – the, the way I put it is – this was not a Hall of Famer because he was at Coors Field. He was a Hall of Famer who happened to play at Coors Field. This dude was a freak of athletic marvel since his high school days in Tennessee and college days at Tennessee. And he ended up on the Rockies. And he did what you should do when you're a generational talent playing at Coors Field, which is put up just completely absurd numbers <laughs> that of course were better at home, but he has a better road OPS than a whole bunch of Hall of Famers. He did not have splits. His plate discipline was unbelievable. And same kind of thing, the guys that played against him was like, yeah, it's Todd Helton. He was he was a Hall of Famer. It's not that complicated. So that's that's where kind of I'm at with him. I know people hold, hold cores against him, but I think I, it's, it's amazing. I mean, he's getting a ton of votes this year, a ton of support. I do think he'll get in at some point in the next few years. And 
I'm glad because he he is the Rocky. And while I know they had Larry Walker recently, like Rocky's fans aren't going to have a ton of else to get excited about in the near future. So I hope they can look forward to this. Uh, my one hesitation with him is that the last six years of his career, he was hurt and mid. Mm-hmm. You know, 34 to 39, he was a 104 OPS plus guy, which is pretty good. But is that a Hall of Fame career? Uh, yes, it is if you uh, take into account that <laughs> peak, which is just jaw-droppingly impressive. 163, 160, 148, 165, 165, 144 OPS pluses. That's the six-year Th- stretch. Those are those are adjusted for the park, <laughs> right? Like right. that is why that is so, so, so wild. And while even like go look at what Arenado's adjusted OPSs have been, right? Never anywhere close to 160, right? It was like 130 and he was amazing. It was like, this is the best Rockies player we've seen since whatever. It's like, no, it was never even close. No one was doing any, anything close to that. He got absolutely shafted, dude, in, in 2000 with MVP. Like obviously it should have been Bonds, right? Yeah, but he finishing 5th is was laughable. He had the most war. He was 8.9 win player <laughs> who had a 1162 ops and finished 5th. 400 total bases. Great. Um <laughs> yes. Uh so yeah, so I'm 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 a big Helton guy and I don't think he's going to get in this year, but that one is pretty easy. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Jake Jordan, do you guys have the exact same ballot?" Uh I think so. Maybe. Now, I will say we did not like we came together yesterday and we're like, here's my ballot. And it just happened to be the same. Maybe our friendship is an echo chamber. But just to review my players that I would put in, there are eight of them and their names are Gary Sheffield, Carlos Beltran, Manny, A-Rod, K-Rod, Wagner, Scott Rowland and Todd Helton. I would vote for eight players. And if you gave me a couple beverages, R.A. Dickey, Mark Burley. Yes, I think I'm with you on those eight. I actually think I can come around on Abreu, honestly. Abreu would be the one that I can come around on, even for, I mean, again, obviously not as convicted on it uh, because of all the reasons we stated earlier. Um, But he's the one that I still think is a pretty overwhelming statistical case. And I think that's reflected. Again, you look at the votes, um, just just to give a a general uh, assessment of, of where everybody's at. So again, Helton and Roland are, are hovering around 80%. Sheffield is at 64%. Wagner, 73%, which means probably not going to get there this year. He's in his eighth year, only a couple more years for him. Hopefully Wagner gets in. Kent, 50%. He's at, he's in his last year, so he's probably gone. Andrew Jones up to 68%, which is kind of surprising. Um, he's gotten uh, some some more support this year. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, Beltron 56, Abreu 19. So it's very possible no one will get in this year and it'll just be McGriff uh, off of the Veterans uh, Committee ballot, um, which is fine. Made Fred McGriff also awesome. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. So we'll talk about that next week. Uh, Jake, I think we should probably end the podcast here and just save some of this other stuff for Monday. But well, I, I, uh, I want to say that we started this podcast by saying <laughs> we don't really care about the Hall of Fame. We <laughs> talked about it for a hundred or uh, an hour and 15. Yeah, so uh, there are other moves that have happened, and there are other things we want to talk about. But because I, I think we should, is this okay? I know we're doing yeah, some production fine. producing here. We'll cut this pod here. We'll leave it a Hall of Fame special. We will talk about the hilarious owner goof goofballs. Uh, that's a very generous way to put what was said um, uh, on Monday. We'll save that for Monday. We'll talk about some of the other moves. So we'll save it for then. 
Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this. You can email and us. Tell us your Hall of Fame thoughts. Baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. B-A-R-B-Cast. Yeah, I want to, like, the the part of this discussion, or this this whole thing that I actually do enjoy is the conversation about it in good faith. Like, if you disagree for one reason or another, like, let us know. Don't be a schmuck about it. But I do find that they're, the, the way that different people perceive legacy and careers and statistical output and what they prioritize is interesting, right? If you are a straight, what do you do on the field numbers person? I think that's interesting. I'm clearly not. I would vote for Ari Dickey, right? You know? <laughs> um, so yes. Yeah. So, so, so let us know. Uh, we, we, we hope you, you enjoyed this, this uh, little hall of fame special and we'll, we'll recap it more, I guess, after the results uh, come out on next Thursday's pod. But thank you all for listening. This was super fun. Um, again, you can email us, baseballbarbercast.gmail.com. Leave us a rating, review. Uh, leave a random non-Hall of Famer in your review. Uh, we always appreciate that support. And um, yeah, we will talk to you guys on Monday. Sirius XM Podcasts.